This program is brought to you by Haymarket Books as part of our live event series. Haymarket Books is a radical, independent publisher dedicated to connecting social movements with the ideas they need in the struggle for a better world. You can help support the Haymarket Project by buying books at haymarketbooks.org and especially by joining the Haymarket Book Club. Be sure to subscribe to our podcast and the Haymarket YouTube channel to access all of our upcoming events. Hi, and welcome to the Haymarket event on Dying for iPhone, Apple, Foxconn, and the lives of China's workers. My name is Kevin Lin, and I will be facilitating today's discussion. The, the story of Chinese workers and their struggles over the last two decades have been extremely dramatic, and Foxconn has been at the center of this story. We are grateful to have uh, Jenny Chen and Mark Selden with us today to talk about the book, to talk about Chinese workers, Foxconn, Apple, and much, much more. To introduce the speakers, uh, Jenny Chen is a assistant professor of sociology at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University. At Mark Selden is a senior research associate in the East Asia program at Cornell University, and is also the editor of the Asia Pacific Journal. Uh, I know the book has been a long time in the making, uh, at least ten years. So it's exciting to see the book uh, to finally come out, and so that we can have a discussion today. So, so Jenny will first speak for about thirty minutes or so, followed by Mark for another ten to fifteen minutes. Uh, then we'll have a roughly about 45 minutes for Q&A. Uh, so please feel free to send your questions anytime during or after their talks. Uh, and we'll be really looking forward to the discussion. So without further ado, uh, Jenny, please. Thank you so much, Kevin. Uh, thanks a lot for your wonderful introduction. And this is really my great honor to be with my mentor, Professor Sheldon, as well as everyone who are joining us, maybe in your early morning or like us in Hong Kong nearly midnight. But this is really a wonderful time, and I should begin uh, by thanking all the colleagues, especially John, Diane, Ruby, and everyone at Hate Market. So thank you so much. Now, we are going to use a quite advanced broadcasting system. I will be actually seeing my slides uh, from my end. And uh, this is the opening slide that you should be also able to see uh, from your side. So John will be coordinating with me all the way. Uh, so <laughs> this is indeed quite, quite interesting that for the first time, I will have an assistant who are doing this together. Okay, so to get started now, um, this is a book that is the collective effort. Uh, with Punai, my other mentor, we have been uh, working on it on and off for about 10 years. So this is really the time for us to introduce to you the findings. Um, next. I'm going to give the outline of our presentation today, uh, starting with the macro background and the context, uh, labor, state, and global capitalism. And I will focus more on labor issues, and they are the rural migrants as well as uh, student interns for vocational schools. They are the ones who really make our lovable iPhones and other gadgets. And uh, finally, 
let us also look forward what might be the alternative development, uh, what strategies that we might have to change uh, the system right now. And uh, next, okay, maybe let me also maximize that. Okay, um, this is the explanation for the title of our book. Mm. So everyone can see it right now, right? Uh, so this is the um, uh, title of our book, Dying for an iPhone. Uh, it has a double meaning. A new generation of Chinese workers is struggling to assemble iPhones, while consumers around the world curl up to buy the newest models. We are connecting the um, consumption part as well as production part. Um, on the one hand, workers are racing against time to assemble iPhones, computers, and other products, while we, the consumers, are really hungry for the latest uh, model. And there have been some tensions or contradictions that is quite vividly revealed uh, from this study. Ten years ago, in Chandian Tan, 18 workers attempted suicide at Foxconn facilities in China. 14 of them died. Four survived with crippling injuries, uh, both men and women, young people, between 17 and 25 years of age. And all of them were coming from the countryside. They are the new generation of the rural migrants. Unlike their parents, they are hoping to find a new career or even build their homes and families in the cities. But what happened? Uh, so next uh, slide. What you are seeing now from your screen is that um, these young workers, as we mentioned, 14 of them died in uh, 2010. Instead of finding out the root causes for the suicide, the management set up the anti-suicide lab or the safety lab. But do they really save lives? As we dig deeper in the next slide, you will see that uh, we translate one worker's frog. And here it goes. The use of death is simply to testify that we were ever alive at all and that while we lived, we had only despair. This is the voice of a worker who says when he lives, he only have hopelessness and desperation. As we continue to do our research, Fortunately or unfortunately, uh, we uh, did meet with one survivor in the hospital, and she was only 17 years old, one of the survivors. Um, after about a month, uh, she regained consciousness, uh, but only find that she could no longer walk. She has paralyzed from race down. Uh, she jumped from the fourth floor of the factory dormitory. Uh, it took really quite some time for us to establish our trust and confidence. And she shared with us that she was working on the assembly line, only uh, making Apple products. Within Foxconn, there are more than a dozen of these business groups. And hers is IDPBG, Integrated Digital 
product business groups. These 12 business groups, they compete with each other to lower the cost, but also speed up to the maximum limit. And that is to turn out the iPhones and other products for the global consumers. And bear in mind, in 2010, um, Foxconn was the only producer of uh, iPhones for the whole world. Um, the next slide, as you will see now, she, only 17 years old, but have paralyzed from the waist down. Her useless or not productive bodies were just flown back to where she was from. She was in the central part of China. You might be very familiar with where is Hubei or Wuhan now. Uh, she's not exactly from Wuhan city, uh, but in a quite remote uh, poor village. Uh, she becomes now... Um, Sorry to feel that uh, a burden of her family, but she lives, and uh, because she lives, this also gives us some momentum or um, or the hope <laughs> to really pursue uh, what's behind of all these tragedies and could it be prevented at the first place. So next slide. Her story is not unique. Indeed, there are some uh, collective features that we could uh, pop further. Um, she was among one of the hundreds of millions of uh, young rural migrants. China is a huge country, have more than 1.4 billion in terms of the total population. And nearly 300 million are those who are from the smaller villages and towns, but they are just like you and me, uh, really hoping to learn more about the technological world, consumption, and cities seems to be the place where they have their hope. And next, right, when we have to tackle the challenges uh, faced by the new generation, we uh, draw our insights from the literature. And here is our uh, analytical framework, which we will be uh, elaborating in the following 10 minutes uh, or, or 20 minutes. Um, but just to be brief, we, we have to understand that transformation of China's economy. Uh, for about 40 years, China had been relying on exports, uh, low-cost exports, and migration is the world's largest in Chinese uh, or in world history in terms of the migration, uh, new jobs that are created by the pirates as well as state capital. And we are particularly reference to uh, global value chains studies and more critical scholars to put that as global poverty chains. Uh, we need to tackle uh, or understand deeper the power relations as it shaped the global electronics production in China. And finally, we contextualize the struggles of the new generation of Chinese workers in Chinese states. Uh, what the authoritarian regime are shaping the possibilities of um, standing up to fight, but as well as uh, constraining agencies or resistance of these workers. So basically, this is a labor, states, and capital uh, relationship analysis. Right, so the next slide. 
after reviewing some literature, we begin to uh, plan our fieldwork and studies in China. Uh, most of the investigation are undercover, <laughs> so I'm not going to share with you some other uh, files, videos, or photos that we have been taken for almost 10 years. But what we have to know is that for this long period of time, we talk to uh, literally hundreds of workers as well as the managers, and they are uh, having confidence in us that we are going to amplify their voices. Uh, they share their wage statements, uh, the company information publications, uh, and most Importantly, their own poetry, songs, and their letters and videos. And we also did a little bit um, in terms of interviewing the officials, including the trade union members and uh, the managers who um, behind the scene, uh, so off record, uh, but they are willing to talk to us. So um, across the Hong Kong border, we begin our research in Guangdong, uh, in Shenzhen City, uh, in Guangzhou, and then we move further into the interior and the western part of China our aims. So uh, there are two main aims. First, um, that is more on scientific research. We want to assess the extent to which the states and the global corporations like Apple fulfill their responsibilities to protect workers in the context of transnational production. Um, but understanding analysis is the, the yeah, challenging work, but on top of that, we really want to inspire and support a new round of global labor struggles in our era, and that would uh, need more support at home and abroad. So, so thanks a lot for joining us. Uh, the next slide, you will see that. Let us begin by explaining what is Foxconn. Um, this is the official uh, website of the Taiwanese company. The headquarters is based in Taipei in Taiwan. But China has the world's largest production base for Foxconn and many other multinational corporations. Uh, throughout the past two decades or so, uh, Foxconn had been fast expanding into Southeast Asian countries, including India, Vietnam, and in Europe that is closer to the market in the Middle East and other parts of the European countries. Um, we got the Czech Republic, Slovakia, Hungary, and you have been following the LCD, a huge factory that um, meant to be built in Wisconsin uh, in North America, but it didn't seem to realize now uh, in the a southern part um, of, of uh, Latin America, we got uh, Brazil and some other places. They are also the important production sites. But then in the next slide, you will see that despite all these relocation and global expansion, China remains the center of profitability. The workers that are putting together from Americas and Europe will be even less than just one factory. Uh, of Foxconn in China. So it is the massive scale of production that we are referring to uh, when we conduct the research uh, in China. So the next slide, a little bit more uh, context about Foxconn. Uh, it was established in 1974. Um, 
over the years, because of the technological advancement, uh, patents, and some other uh, important breakthrough, it has got the contracts not only from Apple, but Google, Amazon, um, Intel, and all the global brands that you you would be able to name. And I trust uh, per every, uh, let's say, two products uh, in your pocket, maybe more than one uh, is actually assembled by Foxconn, because at the peak, it has more than 50% of the global market. And the next slide, you will see that this is a Foxconn map, but as much as a China map. Foxconn's growth since 1988, when Taiwan and China resumed more in terms of their bilateral trade, uh, Foxconn was among the very first group of entrepreneurs who set up their base uh, just on the northern border of Hong Kong. And when China entered into the World Trade Organization in 2001, exports uh, had been really increased by tenfold, twenty times. Uh, it has been changing a lot the structure within the Chinese growth model. And Foxconn had been aligned uh, with the goals of the Chinese state in climbing the global value chain. Today, if you look at the Foxconn map, it would be as much as a China map. Uh, Foxconn has more than 40 mega factories all over, not just in the eastern coast, but in the center and the western part. And it is um, a network that would enable Foxconn to produce 24 hours, day and night, uh, high-speed production. And when one site is paralyzed or shut down, uh, it could um, theoretically, transfer the orders to another site quickly and uh, minimize the loss. So the next slide, you will see this is the largest uh, factories of Foxconn in Shenzhen City. At the peak, they have more than half of a million, half of a million uh, of employees in and the um, manufacturing base, rare dormitories, warehouses, um, all the multi-story uh, factory buildings, uh, football courts, swimming pools, all these entertaining facilities are also right here. So it is just like um, perhaps a, a huge city uh, when we compare to some other places, right? It has been housing the workers not just at work, but also during the off-work hours. It is a an entire ecosystem that would uh, define the working lives as well as the so-called private or personal lives. And the next slide, uh, we then have to zoom into the exact production structure. So this is the pyramid. Uh, maybe everyone of us seems to be just taking it for granted at the top, that would be the CEO, the managers, and the mid-level managers and supervisors. They are designing the objectives and the very detailed um, 
plans that would be executed by production workers and student interns on the assembly line. So that is like a terrorist uh, scientific management model here. Every work is broken down into the small, tiny parts. And what you need is just to do work very repetitively. If we look into the Chinese socialist history in the 50s and the 60s, workers have been hailed as the masters of the nation. So they enjoy some respect and security as the new generation of workers by then when it compares with the former workers who are exploited in uh, imperialism. Um, so today, it, are we having the progress or regression uh, that um, now, it is uh, a quite a mixed model. We have the state, uh, a strong state in the one hand, and we also have uh, capital from the Asia, uh, America, and some other countries, and that is reshaping the labor relations, and that is becoming more hierarchical, uh, where those who are at the bottom are feeling that they do not have the worker representation or other rights. So the next slide, how do we understand all these types of commands and pressures at the workplace? We need to know a little bit about global outsourcing. Uh, from day one, Apple and some other companies, they are outsourcing the low-value-added manufacturing to China. Uh, Apple and Foxconn, for example, they are two entirely independent companies, but they are linked in product development, engineering, production process, and even after sales service. Um, Apple indeed also have their managers and executives that are based uh, on the factory floor at Foxconn and some other suppliers. And they claim that they are protecting their workers across the global supply chain ensure that they have dignity and respect. Is that the case? So this becomes one of the major uh, issues that we're going to unpack behind the shiny and iconic Apple uh, products that we almost like really love it. Uh, or maybe you are also using an iPhone or a MacBook while you are joining this uh, online event. So it, it would be really important for us to understand a lot deeper about uh, our own role as well as the companies, how does it uh, determine the life trajectories of the workers. And the next slide, here you will see the bar charts, right? Um, Apple for its focus on marketing, branding, and some other higher value-add uh, work-like design. It has become one of the most profitable technology companies in the whole world in terms of revenues as well as profit. In comparison, Foxconn have the very low margin, very thin uh, margin, profit margin. Um, even if we add Amazon into this picture, it would be the same. Uh, Amazon uh, is being classified as the retailer. Uh, so that is not uh, under the same category by Fortune Global uh, 500 uh, biggest companies around the world. But indeed, uh, the 
a lesson we learned is that these global brands, when they are outsourcing assembly and other low-value-add work in China and in the past in Taiwan or South Korea, they are reshaping the global structure, the global production network, and that we can see the very uneven uh, distribution of the returns, the revenues, who gains what. And obviously, uh, that is Apple and Samsung and some other companies who, who are having their upper hand. So the next slide, uh, we explain uh, a little bit more. This is the buyer-driven model. It is a buyer-driven supply chain. Apple controls the prices and product delivery. Um, the schedule, you have to produce as quick as possible uh, so that we don't have stock or the turnaround time would be really quick to satisfy the global consumption demands. And uh, ultimately, it creates intense pressures onto the workers. And the next slide, it is a pie chart, and you will see even more clearly that, let's say, if an iPhone is selling at 100 US dollars, Apple itself will got the lion's share of the profits, nearly 60%. Raw materials like plastic, aluminum, and some other um, important metals in it, uh, only about one-fifth uh, of the price. Uh, LG and some other like Samsung American uh, companies, European and Japanese uh, companies, they are producing the higher end components. They will also gain quite significantly. Chinese workers, in comparison, have less than 2% in their pocket. And the next line, you will see the bar chart here. And throughout all these almost 10 years, iPhone remains as the most important commodities that is generating the huge amount of profit for Apple. Um, even though for other apps and services that are also increasing uh, in terms of their significance, but iPhone, uh, the, the really iconic uh, product that is still the most important. We got upgrade uh, changes of the design color and the camera modules. We got a tiny updates almost every year over the past decade. And the next slide, this is the key point now uh, with the production cycles that are fluctuate so much uh, and the tight delivery time, all these shift the production pressure from the global buyers to Foxconn in transnational manufacturing. There are two key points here. First, whenever it is the Christmas time or when a new product is launched, um, workers have to almost like taking 12 hours a shift to do excessive overtime. And the second key point is flexible employment. It seems to no longer make a good sense for Foxconn to keep a large number of employees in-house. Whenever it is needed, I just get in more workers from agencies or vocational schools. And this really make the employment structure more complicated and in a way, uh, break down workers' solidarity to some extent. Uh, the next slide, here we capture some workers' test 
testimonies, um, working day and night and doing really tiny, uh, repetitive work. This is one of the comments. I screw the screws without a brick and each screw turns diligently, but they can't turn around our future. Um, this is again a sense of alienation and that there's no future for them and they are just keeping work and work. And the next slide, it is even a more touching poem uh, that is done by a 24 years old, a male worker. A screw fell to the ground in this dark night of overtime, hunging vertically, lightly clinking. It won't attract anyone's attention, just like last time on a night like this, when someone punched to the ground. In the bright red broad, uh, the spatter of suicides returned. But this time, it is him who later on also commit suicide. Uh, the next line, we then have to deal with these really difficult and deeply troubling uh, uh, tragedies. Suicide involves an intensely personal and social struggle on the part of the individual. Uh, he and she and many others are leaving home without their parents, friends. Uh, they share the feelings of displacement and existential alienation. The city where they want to stay in, but they can't. And the village, they could they return? Uh, there is also no home for them to say the return because they no longer really know how to do farm work or get any interest in that. Um, the next slide actually give you a, a little bit more hidden uh, from what you might have already known from the media reporting. Uh, these are the huge group of student interns with the continuing demand for the iPhone and, and other best-selling products. Cross-concern labor needs are really strong and that entail a large-scale use of student interns. The next line, we pose the questions whether they are really the interns or they are the cheap, uh, low-cost workers. During the summer of 2010, Foxconn employed 150,000 interns all over China. That is about 15% of its million-strong Chinese workforce. So these are students, they are coming from different majors, different backgrounds, like um, doing healthcare, computing, auto repair, Chinese medicine, all sorts of different uh, subjects that they are taking. But what are the same for them is they are doing assembly work or packaging. There's no any genuine skill training and they have to do overtime work day and night. Um, at the peak production month, it is seven days a week, uh, only one day off in the entire month. So the next slide really summarize that this is a kind of forced labor system. This is a modern form of uh, uh, slavery. Every day, a student intern uh, shared with us, it's just like a repetition of one or two simple motions, like a robot, uh, a screw and the capitalist machine. Uh, working on the line, living in the same factory dormitory, they must comply with the internship program or they cannot graduate. Uh, and the more we know, it actually the more stunning because it is not just the powerful uh, Foxconn company that are shaping the student labor market. 
there are local officials who are mobilizing educational departments and bureaus to send in the students at the requirements of Foxconn and some other companies. The next uh, chat, uh, it is based on our field work, and you will see that Foxconn is on the top. And the companies, uh, some other companies are also doing the same, but most importantly, it is the provincial government and the lower level governments. They are commanding the vocational schools to uh, cooperate. So this is an entirely uh, uh, local student regime uh, that we are uh, discovering uh, and reporting, documenting. It is... Um, a highly sensitive issue as well. And the next slide, um, I want to explain just a little bit more that Foxconn and the local government's collusion uh, have been uh, quite um, uh, strong and, and there has not been any change throughout the past decade. And if there had been some change, it is the scale that seems to be even larger than in the past. They are violating the educational and labor rights of these students. They do get paid, but they would not have any pensions or health care insurance. And, and one thing, if these interns are really concerned about getting a job, why not they go straight into the labor market instead of taking a three-year standard vocational program to sharpen their vocational skills. So this is really a question that deserves our thought. And then let's like interns or um, uh, workers, they are not just uh, passive or remaining silent. They are standing up and fight back. There have been numerous strikes and protests that have been going on and on. And perhaps even while we are speaking right now, there might be some outbreaks of uh, strikes uh, out there in China. So the local states, they have been competing for foreign and domestic investment. Uh, there have been new forms of inequalities and conflicts that are arising. Like the, uh, Foxconn have been transferring workers and managers from one factory to another, but without having their security benefits following. So some disputes comes up, um, even though the company union tried to suppress uh, workers' voices, but still, workers are finding some way online and offline to make some changes. The next slide tells you uh, more visually about the kind of union in China. We got the party state on the top, and ACFTU, or China Federation of Trade Unions, is part of that. And the enterprise level union have to register uh, to the upper level of the union and all the way go up to the centralized uh, state union. Any other independent unions would be outlawed. They are illegal in China. And the next slide, if we just stop right here, we are giving you a very depressing talk today. Um, but perhaps um, the world is more complicated. Workers have been standing up and there have been student groups and labor groups that are supporting. We also gained the um, uh, solidarity support from trade unions in Hong Kong and other parts of the world. Uh, there have been chemical poisoning, industrial injuries and other deadly occupational diseases. And we have to name and shame the um, 
global brands, including but but not limited to Apple. And the next slide, you will see that we uh, produce a six meter long poster and to isolavery and get it out uh, just in front of the Apple store. Uh, in Hong Kong. And the next line, uh, not only the activism uh, within Hong Kong, but in Taiwan, they had uh, been uh, remembering, memorizing the victims, uh, like hanging the banner, uh, a huge banner on the ground, what is the price of fresh and blood? And it says, dreams shattered. Uh, it is an accusation, um, uh, a targeting uh, Foxconn's headquarter companies what they have to do to really understand the depression and suicides, uh, tragedy and to prevent it. And then the next slide in Mexico, we also have other concerned groups, the trade unions. They are making a makeshift uh, graveyard to uh, remember these workers. Um, that is really significant in terms of the international labor solidarity support. And then the next slide, uh, you will see that in USA and Europe, there have been also consumer campaigns or anti-sweatshop campaigns uh, that are echoing some basic demands like calling for a living wage and the right to unions uh, lies in China. And the next line, um, when iPhone had been upgraded to the Model 10, uh, uh, the, I, the uh, Model uh, iPhone 10 in 2017, um, we organized another uh, campaign. So the pressure had been uh, keeping on. Um, and the next slide, you will see that still, um, it is not just about the company social responsibility issue. It is also about the um, uh, Chinese state. How we understand uh, the Chinese government, are there labor laws that are protecting these workers or not? Uh, from the perspective of President Xi Jinping and his uh, administration to preserve socio-political stability is the most important. And worker protests have uh, generated a mixed outcome. On one hand, um, it is a more severe crackdown over the NGOs, the non-governmental organizations, as well as the left-wing university groups. But on the other hand, there have been also some change like getting the trade unions to mediate uh, labor conflicts on site. Or at the other time, it is expanding the trade union membership, but the main purpose is not to stand up and fight for their interests. It is mainly to preempt further unrest. So the next line, uh, we want to assess then under this situation what uh, workers and the activist leaders could do. Indeed, they have been confronting management to keep on demanding some improvements. Um, sometimes, in the worst case, they will be criminally charged and getting imprisoned. But these acts of resistance, no matter how short-lived or small-scale, but uh, that is accumulating and strengthening their confidence and their communication skills and strategies, and that could ultimately strengthen their collective bargaining skills. And the next line, 
for us, the researchers as well as the labor rights supporters, we uh, document the their their lives, uh, their hopes and their demands, trying to organize some trainings and document uh, important uh, changes in their lives. Uh, so how would they change the household registration system in China to make themselves be part of the equal uh, citizens instead of the inferior secondary uh, class in China? So that that is something more broader in terms of changing the socio-political structure and uh, using songs or some of the poetries that is more an uh, artistic form or a cultural form of activism. The next slide, so now I'm concluding. We are hoping to have the Workers and Students Alliance, um, uh, not only a new generation of workers, but also <laughs> university students. They are studying Marxism and Maoism, and they are standing uh, on the side of the workers. Um, but as the state titan media, as well as education, to have all that kind of internet uh, policing, and the crackdown becomes more imminent, we just have to do things more and more careful now. Uh, but still, we can see the fresh graduates, they are organizing workers' centers or doing legal support uh, and offer all different kinds of services for women workers as well as their children in the city. The next line, in a really long run, uh, long term vision, we are thinking about alternate uh, development. We are hoping to build a stronger, broader, close class networks so that we are unifying uh, separate kinds of uh, struggles like environmentalists and workers. We could join hands together. It is not just about occupational safety and health, but it is also a matter of public health issue like COVID-19. It is not just um, affecting workers within the factory wall. It is affecting almost everyone in the local community. And feminism, uh, we are hoping that workers would also get their support of like childcare, education for their children. And in the workplace, there should not be any sexual uh, harassment or discrimination based on gender. And political-wise, uh, whether it would be possible to have electoral politics in China in the long run, let us really think about a more democratic and open society where workers' rights to unionize would also be fully respected. Uh, I'm happy to say that our Korean edition uh, is forthcoming. So we have the English version and uh, hopefully very soon the Korean edition. And the final slide, thank you so much for your patience. Uh, I've been taking quite some time, uh, but then I would love to pass it on to uh, my mentor, Professor Sheldon. Thank you so much. Thanks so much, Jenny. Uh, uh, I would like just to remind everyone to uh, submit your question in the uh, YouTube chat. Uh, and we're looking forward to, to more discussion. Without further ado, uh, Mark, please. Sorry, I pressed the wrong one previously. Okay. Thank you very much, Kevin and John and Jenny, for uh, laying all this out. Um, I want to try to step back a little bit from the book uh, that has been uh, eloquently laid out in, in so many uh, in so many ways with its worker centered uh, approach. I want to think um, larger about uh, the future of labor in China. 
coming out of our research on this, including especially the electronics uh, industry, one of the key industries in China and globally. Well, our book looks at the position of labor at the intersection of Foxconn, presently the largest electronics manufacturer and assembler in the world with 900,000 Chinese workers, and China's largest exporter, as well as Apple, by some measures, the world's most profitable corporation. Many readers who um, have engaged the book uh, perhaps see it primarily as a critique of Foxconn. They, after all, are on the ground. They are dealing with the workers uh, on a day-to-day basis and the dark picture that Jenny presents of life uh, in this Taylorist uh, environment um, is one that brings us right back to Foxconn repeatedly. Uh, oppressive overtime, lack of routes for worker advancement, lack of a legal right to strike. But uh, the story we're trying to tell uh, goes far beyond Foxconn, uh, and it begins uh, principally by looking at the Apple-Foxconn uh, relationship. Um, Apple, after all, whose slogan is designed in Silicon Valley, underlines the fact that it produces nothing, uh, that the production is done uh, abroad. Not all of it is in China. Some is in Korea, some is in Japan, uh, but a great deal is done in China in the final assembly. And thus, whatever's in your pocket uh, reads as if it's come from China uh, because it has uh, in the final stage. Uh, but um Apple has uh, a fancy code of conduct. Uh, it boasts about its caring for workers and consumers and the environment. Uh, and we, of course, tell uh, a very different story. Uh, but I want to emphasize the point that uh, while Foxconn is an important player, uh, it is the front lines uh, of the workers we've been talking about, primarily rural migrant workers from the countryside who have very few rights within the Chinese uh politics, political order, uh, that above all, it is uh, Apple that calls the shots. Uh, and Apple is in the driver's seat because it has the leverage over Foxconn. Uh, it's Apple that sets uh, the tone for how many, uh, how many iPhones have to be produced this week as it moves into a new model or it moves into the Christmas rush. Uh, and Foxconn has to oblige or See its, um, see its contract with Apple go to other companies that are perfectly happy to, uh, to get the work done. So, um, it's Apple, but it's not only Apple either. Uh, it's Apple in conjunction with the local government in China. Uh, and we tell a story, therefore, uh, that is a, a three-way story uh, of Foxconn, Apple, and the support of the local government. Jenny brought this out very well in talking about the ways in which local government enforces the, she didn't use the word illegal internship, uh, but I will. Uh, the internship program that Foxconn runs uh, is quite illegal by Chinese law. China, in fact, has uh, a set of fairly admirable internship program uh, legal guidelines, uh, and Foxconn violates every single one of them. It is no internship program at all. The young students who come in on the first day go right into the plant and they begin their tailorist grind uh, for often up to a year uh, or more. So um, it is this 
three-way relationship between local governments enforcing Foxconn's will, in this case, Apple uh, pressuring Foxconn uh, to meet a series of demands that otherwise would be extraordinarily difficult to meet uh, if they didn't go into this uh, illegal use of young uh, so-called interns. Um, as Jenny points out, uh, this story is not simply one of Foxconn working its will over Chinese workers <clears throat> in the sense that there have been large numbers of conflicts, large numbers of strikes. I would say many more worker action than in uh, the United States, for example, strikes and walkouts and demands uh, and so on. Well, how does the Chinese state and how do Foxconn respond to these uh to these actions. Uh, it's interesting to note that while strikes are not legal in China, uh, they were in, uh, in an earlier constitution, which was rewritten to eliminate the right to strike. Uh, while they're not legal, uh, the Chinese state is sometimes fairly flexible. That is, it recognizes that rather than arresting all strikers or uh, putting everyone in jail <clears throat> uh, or using physical force on them, it's sometimes better to allow small gains to be made uh, in the workplace as a means of preventing much larger struggles from uh, getting out. So uh, this, in fact, is uh, what we see happening. Uh, there are not a few cases in which the state steps in uh, and uh, chides capital uh, and allows very small gains to be made, but always at the level of a small workshop, never at the level of a large company or a, um, a large industry, such as the electronics industry, uh, but very small uh, gains made through uh, the worker actions that have gone on over these years. Well, what about labor organization? Um, Jenny mentioned the old China Confederation of Labor Unions. I think it's useful to think about this in comparison to the United States where more than 90% of industrial workers are without union representation in our great country. Uh, in China, all of the large companies, almost all of the large companies, have in fact uh, labor representation. It is the old China Federation of Labor Unions. The only problem is that this is uh, the perfect model of the company state union, not just the company. It's also the company in the state that is supporting the structure of labor control uh, that uh, has led to some of the disasters such as suicide and other kinds of disasters that lead to the hopelessness that many Foxconn and other workers uh, are, are facing. So the fact of the matter is that there has never been a better model for a company union than Foxconn. Who is the head of the union? Well, of course, it is uh, the secretary of Terry Goh. Uh, the owner of Fox, the most main owner of Foxconn, Foxconn chief. Uh, and for more than 20 years, uh, this person has been the head of the union subservient to Foxconn uh, demands. Um, I think it's useful to begin to think about the story we're telling uh, in terms of larger dimensions of the nature of Chinese political economy uh, and U.S. political economy, because we're telling a story of Foxconn and Apple. We're telling a story of American, Japanese, Korean and other corporate giants in the electronics industry. 
Uh, and we're also telling us that is of neoliberal capitalism. And we're also telling a story of Chinese state capitalism and trying to understand the dynamics that have allowed capital in each of these cases to dominate uh, labor. But now we're also telling a new story if we want to think about the opportunities for labor and if we want to think of the position of capital. And this is the story uh, that has moved from a U.S.-China corporate and state and business alliance over several decades uh, to uh, deep conflict between the United States and China. Uh, and we have to think about uh, corporations like Apple and Foxconn as they are affected by the changing uh, relationships. So it's striking that uh, beginning before the Trump administration, beginning with Obama and then uh, greatly accelerating with Trump, and now very likely continuing in many ways with the Biden administration, we are seeing the priori a priority of American foreign policy to uh, lock down on China. Uh, the most important element of this, uh, the most visible, certainly, uh, is the Trump administration's 21 percent tariffs on Chinese goods. Um, that is overnight. This went from 3 percent to 21 percent, uh, challenging the ability of China and not just in electronics, but in many other areas, including agriculture, including mining and so on, to export to the United States. And of course, in high tech across across the board with the attempt to crush Huawei, China's uh, 5G phone champion. So uh, what I'm thinking about is how to understand the prospects for labor under conditions of this kind when the United States and China uh, are now at each other's throats in ways that can lead us not only to labor capital conflict, but also can take us to the brink of war between China and the United States as the U.S. moves to challenge China militarily across the South China Sea on China's borders. Remember, we're talking about 10,000 miles from the U.S. from U.S. territory uh, and uh, the leading global conflict now uh, taking place uh, on China's borders. China is not simply a passive recipient of this. It's also active as well. Uh, but I want to put the story uh, that Jenny has been telling uh, in this larger context of uh, U.S.-China challenge uh, in technology uh, and in uh, geopolitics, uh, even in the area of education. Uh, the uh, millions of Chinese students at all levels who are coming to the states now uh, this area of our cooperation is threatened. Uh, by uh, the notion that every Chinese, whether it's a technician or a student, is a potential spy. So this is the situation in which uh, we are seeing a fundamental change in U.S.-China uh, relations. I'm working with a new group called the Committee for Sane U.S.-China Policy, if I'm allowed to do a, a little PR uh, for our new group, working with others like the Quincy Institute, uh, that uh, recognize the fact that the interests of the United States and China do not lie in going to war, whether going to war figur figuratively or literally, um, and that uh, the disasters that were uh, inflicted on China, but also inflicted on us 
us, the U.S. and American workers by the Trump policies uh, have to be addressed uh, in new ways. Uh, the results of those tariffs, the results of those locking out uh, Chinese companies, locking out Chinese technology uh, are to threaten the economies of both the United States and China. I've mentioned American farmers, uh, American uh, small business exporters, uh, small and large in, in, uh, uh, <clears throat> and, and, and so forth. And so uh, what I'd like to do briefly is to think about the crisis in U.S.-China uh, relations resulting in a sharp decline in U.S.-China trade uh, and other issues which require a reversal of the fundamentals of the Trump MAGA go-it-alone U.S. policy uh, in favor of thinking about the possibility of multilateral solutions, because it's only multilateral solutions, in fact, that can get at the heart of growing global issues like growing inequality, massive inequality in China and the United States, two of the countries with the largest income inequality uh, in the world, uh, massive problems that can only be addressed globally, like growing greenhouse gas emissions. China has a much more ambitious uh, green environmental policy than the U.S., but in both cases, we have uh, the crisis of emissions facing these two countries uh, as the most serious problems, but facing the entire world. Um, of course, we're talking above all uh, about the rights uh, of labor, and we're also talking about human rights abuses. So this can't be resolved by thinking that the U.S. is simply the bad guy either. I'm pinning a lot on Trump, uh, but in fact, both of our two countries face many of the same problems, as illustrated by growing uh, income inequality and greenhouse gas uh, emissions. Um, and this means that if we want to address these, we're going to have to address them ultimately as global problems. We're going to have to negotiate with China uh, and we're going to have to step back from an economic policy, which is essentially designed to halt Chinese exports in its, in its tracks. Uh, and does nothing far from doing anything positive is highly negative for American workers uh, as well, closing down uh, Chinese uh, exports uh, to this to this country, uh, too. So uh, can we expect changes with the Biden administration that will make possible more proactive relationships, not just U.S.-China, but global relationships that will uh open the way to more fruitful uh, conditions for workers above all, uh, but for the two economies of, of our countries. Um, <clears throat> it's not easy to be too optimistic about this. Uh, so far, Biden appointments uh, share many of the views uh, of the Trump administration targeting China uh, as uh, the major uh, problem <clears throat> for the U.S. economy uh, and uh, U.S. politics. Uh, but there are also mixed signals uh, coming out uh, of the Biden administration. Uh, Biden certainly is much more open to um, working with other countries. Uh, the possibility that the United States will rethink its having left the Trans-Pacific Partnership, uh, which continued without the U.S., it could go back to that. Uh, 
uh, and it could make it a much better agreement than it was before when we were in it. Uh, there are other areas uh, in which the United States has to rethink cooperative relationships. I've mentioned the environment as one of the most crucial ones. Um, labor rights, uh, as Jake Warner pointed out, re- Werner pointed out recently, the United States has never ratified six of the eight labor standard laws that set the, the uh, best international standards. So these are some of the possibilities that I think our study doesn't address sufficiently, but opens up uh, and that we need to rethink as we return to uh, considering what the possibilities are for world labor uh, in the decades uh, ahead. This, of course, is no small order. Success is by no means assured, but it suggests that priorities that take us back from the brink of war, that take us back from the economic depression, that Trumpian policies have led us to, uh, and much more, uh, need to be placed on the agenda, and we need to think about how to make them work. Thanks very much. Thanks so much, uh, Jenny and Mark, for this very comprehensive, extensive discussion. Uh, and, and just a reminder for, to everyone to, to post your questions, and thanks to those who have already asked questions. Uh, before we go to the, the audience questions, uh, I do want to start with a couple of questions for both, both of you. Uh, I may start with Jenny first. So, so Jenny, uh, I know you have been uh, working on this project for a long, long time, uh, at least since 2010, if not, not before. How, how did you become involved in this per- project? You know, what were you doing at the time? And, you know, why, why did you decide to participate in this project and stay on for so long? Yeah, it's really a long process. <laughs> and Kevin, maybe you're also part of it. <laughs> we know each other since 2013, right, uh, at the UTS University of Technology in Sydney. Uh, thanks also for your work. Uh, that is uh, a, a stimulation. At the first beginning, um, it was really about the tragedy. <laughs> well, I have been uh, involving in uh, SACOM students and scholars against corporate misbehavior for about three years before I decided to move to the UK to pursue my PhD. So it actually also becomes part of my PhD. Um, there have been really great uh, comrades, uh, friends, teachers, colleagues who have been supporting all the way um, if without them, I don't think I alone <laughs> would be able to carry on for that long. But basically, it is really about studying uh, the complexities in global electronics production and the desire to make it more humane and uh, dignified life. And I would love to stand in solidarity with the workers. Thanks so much, Jenny. And to Mark, uh, you know, I think you... Uh, you laid down very, really well the, the, the broader context and you really, you know, contextualize it in, in the U.S.-China relations. Uh, so, so I guess in many ways, the Foxconn story is a really a story of global capitalism uh, over the last couple of decades. Um, you talk about the, the prospect of U- U.S.-China conflict and, and the role that, 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 you know, people should play. In mitigating against against the conflict, what do you think are the role of workers and labor movement in this? Uh, how can workers in, in both countries build solidarity and 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 uh, gain better understanding of each other so that 
workers not pitted against each other, but uh, but actually united in in the effort to not improving labor, not only improving the con- conditions, but also uh, prevent uh, uh, international conflict. Yeah. Well, thanks so much, Kevin, for putting the big question uh, on the agenda. Uh, it's, Does that work? Oh, okay. Um, well, you don't have to see me. Jenny's much better to look at, but uh, anyhow, uh, this is in fact uh, a very difficult question uh, for for the labor movement. Um, you know, since the 1980s, basically the American industrial economy has moved abroad, and uh, there is no better example of this than uh, than Foxconn. Um, President Trump had a great appeal to workers, bring those jobs back to the United States. And not only that, I don't know if any of you saw President Trump on TV with uh, the uh, chairman of Foxconn coming to the United States and promising a huge factory in Wisconsin. Um, And um, the Trump promise was we're going to bring all these jobs back to the United States. And not just electronics, but this was this was the signature piece. And Wisconsin um, came to the rescue as well, offering per- perhaps the largest subsidy for any uh, foreign uh, company investing uh, in their state ever. So the problem was this never happened. So this was like two or three years ago. And Foxconn was unable. Foxconn, why they did this is not entirely clear, but presumably they did it because they wanted to prevent Trump from turning his tariff weapon against them. Anyhow, nothing resulted in that area. And my own view is we're not going to see a return of manufacturing jobs of this kind to the United States. Nevertheless, uh, at the same time, uh, I think we're going to need to develop solidarity both within the United States labor movement and internationally, not just U.S. and China countries. Uh, as well, um, to develop international standards of decent decency. There are a variety of codes that are out there. Uh, the problem is basically uh, it has been capital in the state, as we've illustrated in China, and as we illustrate in the United States, that have been causing, calling the shots. Um, the American labor movement uh, has some strengths in a number of areas like teachers and hospital workers, but industrial labor is uh, not among those strengths at the present time. There are a few industries that are an exception. Um, but even those that historically were an exception, like auto, have shrunk so much in scale uh, because the production is abroad. So I think that we need a consciousness um, that we don't fully have at this point about um, among industrial workers uh, and among citizens and among students. You know, students began to play an important role in a number of industries like uh, like sneakers, for example. And uh, <clears throat> there is no better industry than uh, phones and computers uh, to reach out to students uh, to understand that we are part. Uh, well, we're still we're a little bit old to be students, but we're still students uh, for life life sentence. Uh, that this is uh, this is something that has personal relevance for us. Uh, so students and consumers and teachers and universities, uh, we hope 
that there's a message there for all of us uh, that could make possible uh, cooperative relationship in the future. Thanks so much, Mark. Uh, and, and, and I think we're going to circle back to some of the bigger questions. But both going back a little bit to Foxconn and, and China, you know, in the 1910s, uh, there was a question about who has power. You know, if the if the uh, Chinese government and if the Foxconn clearly don't care about workers' welfare, uh, if Apple has you know insulated itself, separate itself from from uh, you know its responsibility for for Chinese workers. <laughs> Who has the power? But maybe let's take this question a bit further, because Jenny, you touch upon you know labor protests and strikes. So, Foxconn workers were not just the passive victims of exploitation. They were over. They're also you know themselves organizing uh, against exploitation. Can you talk a little bit about the the, the you know worker struggle in China, uh, particularly in the last decade from 2010 uh, into 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 now? Hmm. Um. I still believe that workers play a significant role in the movement. Um, they do have a stronger demands to stay in the city. Uh, that had been changing a little bit in terms of demanding the government for um, housing, education, and uh, pensions. Um, the legal changes had been very slow. But the workers are indeed uh, prioritizing uh, what are the most important to them. Mm. In terms of strategies that have to be uh, really more careful, I could only say because police and some other methods that have become more intervening and sometimes also very hostile, uh, dangerous also to outside uh, supporters. Mm, so if you are talking about the changes uh, over the yeah, long decade, I will see still some more openness at the beginning where we did get to the construction sites, the dormitories, and some other places to do video taking interviews and a lot more interactions with the workers. But in these uh, two recent years, also because of the pandemic uh, and some other factors that are becoming more difficult. Um, about the power thing, there have been uh, public sector buyers like universities or city governments in Europe. And these public sector buyers, they are demanding Apple, uh, Amazon and some other uh, brands to ensure that the production is fair and not uh, that exploitative. So there are really different models or external support right here. Uh, never give up and um, just do it smarter and uh, have more people who are coming together and uh, make the change. So, so Jenny, if I can uh, uh, try to you know break down this a little bit more, uh, how how you know you mentioned the union really doesn't care, it doesn't really take care of workers. So, how were workers able to organize at all in China? Mm. Yes, uh, I know unions, um, 
most of the time dominated by management. And Foxconn is a good example. The chair lady of the company union, right? She is the special assistant of the CEO, Terry Gro. So no one would really trust the union to speak up uh, and stand up for them. Um, the form of organizing may not be in the structure as a union, but perhaps it could be a health and safety committee. It could be a women's group. Um, it could be outside of the factory floor, like um, a worker center. All these are quite vulnerable, and that has no institutional space or the formal status. Um, but just try to really get some more uh, mutual support from each other. I mean, Mark also mentioned about uh, campus activism. Uh, in Hong Kong, we did try to also, let's say, communicate with our departments or our universities in terms of assuring that the computers we buy for teaching or research are from um, yeah, really good uh, suppliers instead of that kind of uh, sweatshops. But no one really bothered <laughs> to listen to us. Universities is a bureaucracy. It takes more uh, skills to convince them. But anyway, um, I, we, we still keep on thinking, are there any kind of uh, labor rights trainings or other forms uh, that could intervene? Uh, but you are right, union may not be the really reliable ally uh, at this stage. And I would encourage more different kinds of uh, organizing uh, at the grassroots level. <clears throat> Yeah, it's definitely very impressive to see Chinese worker really, you know, organizing self, themselves autonomously without much support of the union. And sometimes the union are against worker organizing. Um, let, let's maybe stay on this question of, of campaign and transnational campaign. You know, Mark and Jenny, you both mentioned uh, student activism. You know, in the United States will be the U.S., you know, students against, United students against sweatshop. Uh, there's also consumer campaigns. Uh, maybe I, I would turn this to, to Mark first and, and before we turn back to Jenny. What, what's your assessment of, of student activism on campus and public procurement, uh, but also consumer campaigns? Uh, you know, what have worked and, and what haven't? Yeah. Let me shift the, let me shift the question a little bit because I'm thinking, thinking about some of the things that Jenny was saying and then I try to come back to this part. Um, <clears throat> Both Jenny and I have been saying that there have been a lot of labor struggles in China, uh, but they haven't been run by the unions. Uh, some of them have been run with the support, with international support, uh, <clears throat> but international support at the present time, as Jenny notes, uh, is virtually impossible under conditions like the lockdown in Hong Kong and the lockdown in China uh, of, of activists. Uh, but um, uh, this has been uh, the case uh, in the past. The actions that um, that have that I think are most important uh, over these years, over the last decade, as you asked about earlier, Kevin, uh, have been <clears throat> actions that um, occurred not at the level of the union and not at the level of a giant factory uh, or of a citywide strike or of an industry-wide strike. Uh, they have been actions that took place aut autonomously with very little leadership on the shop floor in one workshop 
in which people said, we've had enough, we won't take it anymore. Sometimes using the threat of suicide uh, as a tactic, going up to the roof and threatening to jump. Um, not a tactic that I think is, is uh, recommended, but, um, and, uh, <clears throat> you know, I think a number of cases of this kind and a number of cases of going through the courts, uh, again, uh, the Chinese state in both of these cases has not simply rejected out of hand all of these actions, uh, but they have made them very difficult. For example, uh, rather than allowing the workers in a factory to put a common demand before the court, each individual worker has to put forward uh, a court case. Well, obviously, this is impossible and it's expensive and it doesn't hurt the company, even if it loses uh, and so on. But these are some of the kinds of counter counter tactics. Um, internationally, uh, I think uh, Jenny has mentioned one that I've uh, been thinking a lot about uh, lately and hope that we can see more of. Uh, and that. <coughs> Um, that is um, public sector unions. This is primarily in Europe, if I understand it. Uh, uh, but uh, but why not? Uh, why can't this develop in the United States uh, and in other um, other countries, uh, Asia, Australia, and elsewhere, uh, in which um, representations of institutions that are more likely to have conscience than uh, uh, than uh, than big capital uh, are putting pressure on China and other governments to um, uh, to honor uh, basic uh, human rights agreements uh, before they uh, before they make purchases through their their institutions. So this is fairly new, I believe, uh, at least new to me, uh, and it's uh, it's one of the areas where we can look hopefully. Um, you know, I raised the question of student activism, uh, and in recent years, the greatest successes were, uh, in, uh, in Nike and Adidas and so on. Um, in principle, it seems to me we should be able to make, build this beyond them to electronics, to all kinds of other industries being produced in China uh, that students are particularly sensitive to. But the record is not yet impressed in that area. Uh, maybe Jenny can understand why it is. I, I haven't followed it closely enough. Well, uh, but more coordination, leadership, and um, uh, yeah, a good plan. It, it might change. Um, yeah, we know the university logo, t-shirts, hats. Uh, yeah, sneakers that seems to be more personal. I put it on and, uh, I'm willing to put a higher premium and support garment workers or some other, yeah, workers in, um, uh, especially so-called growth south, uh, some other developing countries. Uh, I think it's just more education and, uh, support, uh, uh, that, that might have uh, in the long run, um, things are quite difficult. Uh, but in terms of awareness, it does change a lot. Even ten years ago, when I talked to the journalists, almost not many would even spell it correctly with 
Foxconn. Some will say Foxconn.com uh, or some other spelling. We know Apple, Samsung, or Amazon, but we uh, find these suppliers much less uh, visible. Um, but over the 10 years, I think Wistron, Packagon, uh, and some other big suppliers are also well known now, most of the time because of the labor abuses, uh, or at the other time, it's about environmental pollution. It is, you also mentioned about climate change or some other ecological crisis. Uh, I do hope to see more linkages among different kinds of movements. Um, and let us try to um, motivate uh, more uh, to join us. And the book, Dying for an iPhone, is exactly uh, meant to be a public educational tool. Um, it is not just, uh, hopefully, uh, being read by colleagues uh, in, in different universities, but, but more uh, people would be able to uh, read and, and criticize, uh, or even better, to to take some actions as a response. Yeah, th thanks, Mark and Jenny. Yeah, and there are actually more questions about, you know, basically asking what people can do beyond just raising consciousness and, and sharing information. Uh, there was a specific question about the consumer campaign, uh, boycott, consumer boycott campaign uh, against uh, uh, Chinese product that made it under uh, uh, terrible working conditions. Oh. How, how do you respond to that? Say, you know, a, a, a listener today, uh, you know, learning about Foxconn and worker condition in China and reading your book, what do you, what do they, what can they do? Uh, what are the options available to them? Uh, maybe we go with Jenny first this time. Mm. I think one key point is when uh, nearly a million workers in China at Foxconn alone, uh, their rights are suppressed. Um, it would also make it very difficult for workers elsewhere or in other workplaces to get organized. Uh, labor solidarity across the border, chance <laughs> uh, border, labor activism, that is still uh, really beautiful <laughs> uh, in my reading and learning over the years. Well, my experience are also very limited, but um, I do hope to explore more and um, uh, concrete actions are really needed. We know how how desperate and helpless when the workers get injured, uh, they get their hands or fingers being cut. They are in the hospital. No one takes care of them. Uh, some are getting really severe injuries or, or deadly diseases like cancer. So all these Mm, also changed me quite a lot. I, I think in the past that is quite remote to me. Um, but as I visit more workers at their homes or in the hospitals, um, I get just more closer to them. So I, I really dedicate to understand the structure, the power structure and identify where we can amplify the voices. Media activism is one form. Uh, one way and yeah, maybe doing more lecture as well. Um, but ultimately, it is really about coordinating some actions to hold uh, corporations accountable. And don't forget that the state uh, ultimately is more or less defining the game. Uh, if there are good laws and regulations and implemented, uh, it would really help 
changing a lot. Um, and definitely, we consumers uh, would, would be more alert about these inhumane uh, conditions, the use of student interns, which is somehow also not completely disconnected with child labor. So these are severe abuses, serious ones, that we really have to face them instead of um, not um, knowing anything about the supply chain. So education, awareness, and taking actions, uh, mobilizing the states and building um, national or even international allies, that is crucial. The reason this is such a difficult question, uh, for me anyway, for sure, uh, is that it's very difficult to talk about issues over there when you're in the middle of a fight between U.S. and China. So I'm thinking about the importance of changing the tone of U.S.-China relations, nature of the dialogue, um, so that we, in fact, can talk with each other about the serious problems in each of our countries. Uh, and among those are labor problems. Um, there are others that, um, uh, that we like to talk about in relationship to China, violations of human rights. Uh, but there are others that uh, the Chinese like to talk about the United States. What do you got? How come you got so many million people in jail, uh, for example, uh, and uh, most of them black uh, and Hispanic? Um, so um, I think at this point, uh, each country, um, activists in each country um, fired up by Trump and the response, uh, it makes it very difficult for us to talk. And uh, I think until we can begin talking about common issues, I mentioned the environment, environmental protection is one, it becomes difficult to talk about others like what you're doing to labor um, because it comes out as you're criticizing them and you're invoking tariffs. There's really no nothing to talk about. Uh, it's, it's such a across the board conflict. Well, um, how to make that happen. That's what we're starting to begin to think about, but have very few answers so far. Thanks, Mark, for this. Uh, I think you put it really well. You know, obviously, this is an extremely difficult uh, question in cross-border solidarity, and it's definitely made worse by by, by the intense uh, conflict between the United States and China. So so what do you, uh, you know, this time go with Mark first, like, what do you think, you know, a activists and or labor organizers or maybe environmental activists in the United States or Canada or Europe or Australia, uh, elsewhere outside of China, when they pick up this book, they read about Foxconn, they read about, about the role of, of global capitalism and exploitation workers and their struggles. What do you think they should take away or, or what do, do we hope that, that they can take away from this book and, and, and not obviously just read the book to, 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 but also to take action? What, what do you think are, would be the, uh, interesting thing that they can take away from the book? Well, um, I think Jenny has laid out a number of the things, uh, that we hope that they get from it. Um, but, um, for me, uh, we need at this point to combine two kinds of things that don't so easily combine. One is a more proactive relationship toward China, uh, and another is uh, the necessity to recognize that labor rights abuses are taking place in China and in the United States, uh, and that labor 
uh, and supporters of labor and supporters of human rights in the most fundamental ways are going to need to cooperate uh, between our two countries. Uh, and that the best way for that to happen is the development of more proactive multilateral relationships, not limited to the United States and China. Uh, <clears throat> now, one way of responding to your question is we should boycott all Chinese goods because they're doing bad things to workers. Um, I don't think that that uh, is um, um, that that is what I see as the takeaway at this point. Uh, although I hope that we'll continue to speak out on behalf of China workers' uh, rights, I think that we can begin to do that more effectively when we can begin to talk with China overall uh, and not simply moving toward ever tenser relationships, uh, closing down China's exports uh, and so forth. Hmm. Yes, uh, uh, really read the book. Uh, read the book. Uh, I hope you you will identify it. Um, what are yeah? What really means to you? What what would be the key takeaway of you? Uh, for me, the really fundamental issue is about these human beings. They are not the robots. They are not the screw uh, on the assembly line. Uh, just like you and me, they want to have dating, find a lover, uh, to get a family, to be able to take care of their parents. Aging becomes a big problem in China. And um, if only the structure in China better um, the tragedies and, and some other injuries it will be reduced. Uh, and just like in some other countries, uh, ethnicities or racial discrimination is a big issue or some others are the gender dimensions. So this book as a whole is really about um, making the social relations that are more equal, more humane and capitalist social structure uh, or capitalism uh, itself is already like crisis ridden. We are just delaying or postponing the crisis and um, time to wake up and uh, think more deeply uh, how to intervene and, and advocate and mobilize and, and involve in uh, building a more sustainable society. Mm, let's wake up. Yes. And, and thanks, Jenny. Jenny, may, I may I just end on the last question for you, Jenny. Uh, you know, obviously you're based in Hong Kong at, at the Hong Kong Polytechnic University, uh, and the protest movement in Hong Kong over the last couple of years have been, you know, very significant. Uh, but also, you know, the the blowback, uh, you know, the repression, uh, it's also making very difficult for you to continue for you and others to continue activism. What's your sense of, of, of the situation for, you know, for you and others in Hong Kong who still want to contribute to, to, to workers' uh, betterment in, in the mainland? And including you and many others, too. Um, a difficult question. Uh, but I just hope that um, it's just a moment of uh, tightening and shrinking some space of doing research, um, get hold of the activists. Um, it, it is really quite challenging. Um, are there other ways to repackage 
our work, uh, yeah, doing a seminar or some other ways, uh, we are exploring. Mm. Uh, I really don't know because having not been in China for more than a year now, um, I could only at best uh, keep contact uh, with most of the workers in the well, actually, in some other service workplace now, because Foxconn workers have been moving to deliver food, uh, deliver parcels uh, for Alibaba, uh, Olema, or Meituan. So all these are also the tech uh, sector, but but that is quite in a different forms of uh, work, right? So uh, these kind of independent contracting workers, uh, they are even more precarious uh, than migrant factory workers. So they also drawn uh, some of my attention and energy over the past year or so. Uh, and somehow it is quite easy to get them into a group, but WeChat is also not a reliable communication tool. So I really find it um difficult uh, since about 2019 and then 2020 and now it's 2021 mm. uh, but if there are colleagues in China that will provide us with some more support cover uh, welcome <laughs> so it may uh, make things easier thanks Jenny and I think that that's a really important point you highlighted the, the changing nature of of labor uh, the landscape and labor relations in China and we do see uh, logistic worker, delivery workers are also organizing. So that's, that's definitely hope a sign. So we're coming to the end of this webinar. Uh, I think that's been really good, good discussion. I think we, we can, we can easily continue to talk for another hour. Um, just want to thank Mark and Jenny for, for sharing, uh, your uh, analysis and experiences. Uh, we really appreciate the work that you have done, uh, on this and, and for continuing to write and, and speak on the topic. And mm -hmm. thanks for, for Haymarket to, for hosting this event and for John to, to provide the technical support. And of course, thanks everyone, uh, for joining this webinar today and, and hopefully you will pick up the book. Thanks everyone. Thanks so much thank for you. pushing us hard, Kevin. Thanks for listening. If you liked this episode, subscribe to our podcast and to the Haymarket Books YouTube channel, where events like this one are hosted live. And don't forget to check out haymarketbooks.org.